Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachar Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that this summer is stressing the importance of being a good steward on the trail, finding ways to avoid contributing to crowding, and staying safe on public lands. We'll talk about how just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages everyone to come out and experience state parks during its centennial, the 100th anniversary of the state park system, especially through service projects listed online at stateparks.oregon.gov. It's a way to enjoy parks while doing activities like cleaning up trails and restoring wetlands. All right, in today's episode, we're traveling down to the land of Bigfoot for a special report on what makes the Illinois Valley such a special place, including spending the night in the world's greatest treehouse. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. today we have a very special episode because we are taking a deep dive into a place unlike any other in Oregon, the Illinois Valley. Named for what most people agree is the wildest and most remote river in the state, the Illinois River, the towns and people of this corner of southwest Oregon carry that same rugged, unique personality. Generally located southwest of Grants Pass along Redwood Highway 199, the Illinois Valley includes towns such as Cave Junction, Selma, O'Brien, in a landscape of sweet-smelling forest, big craggy mountains, and utterly unique destinations, including the original Treehouse Resort. Our guide to lakes, trails, and curiosities of the Illinois Valley is Skyla Patton, our outdoors intern this summer, who grew up just outside Cave Junction. Hey, Skyla. Hey, Zach. Stoked to be here as per usual, and I'm even more excited to be bringing a little bit of Southern Oregon magic to the podcast. This is going to be such a blast and a total trip down memory lane, I think, for the both of us. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but I got my start in outdoor journalism down at the Grants Pass Daily Courier, where I worked for five years. Uh, my first guidebook uh, that I ever wrote was also about Southern Oregon, so I got to know the wild spaces around the Illinois Valley really well. But Skylet, let's let's start here. I think we both have our own, and I have kind of have my opinion, but for you... Now that you've traveled around the state, you went to U of O, different places, what sets your hometown area apart? So what makes the Illinois Valley so unique? Yeah, you know, the Illinois Valley really is such a special and distinctive place, both in reference to, you know, the cultures and communities that have developed down there over the years, and also just in the raw beauty that the area really has to offer. I know we've talked about this in reference to a couple different places around the state over the last few episodes, but the valley isn't an especially huge area. It's a really, really small chunk of Redwood Highway comparatively, and there is so much packed into those valleys. Rivers, mountains, old growth forests, super, super dry creek beds that, you know, one season have nothing in them, and then in the winter are just these huge roaring rivers. Uh, you know, in the valley, you can rock hound, you can mushroom hunt, people scuba dive in the rivers. You can drive for 30 minutes and be in a completely different landscape than where you were before. And I just am so attracted to that about the Illinois Valley. It's pretty much like an adventure park for people who can really appreciate not only the outdoors, but also kind of what rural Oregon as a whole has to offer. Now, you know, a lot of people listening to this have probably been through the Illinois Valley without necessarily knowing it, um, you know, just because traveling down Redwood Highway 199 south of Grants Pass will take you, you know, to the the really famous Redwoods, the, the world's tallest trees down in Jed Smith and that part of Northern California and Crescent City. But if you're making this trip, why should you consider stopping north of the border and exploring this little patch of paradise that we call the Illinois Valley? Like what's 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 the big upside there if you're on that on that vacation trip? Yeah. So if you're already on the Redwood Highway, I would say that it's really to your advantage to make some pit stops in the Illinois Valley because it's not only like right on the way, like 
I'm serious. Most adventures are going to take you at most half an hour, maybe 40 minutes round trip off of 199. It's super, super accessible. But there's also almost guaranteed to be something around that's going to help add to your specific adventure and trip plan. So there's really something for everybody in that sense. If you're hungry, you can stop for lunch in Cave Junction, make sure your gas tank is full. If it's super hot, you can pull over at one of the like dozens of swimming holes, cool off real quick, spend a day there. Folks who are hiking in and are huge fans of hiking and, you know, kind of getting out into the mountains, you can find miles and miles of trails. I know you've covered that a lot, Zach, that take you into places where you feel like you have pretty much been transported into the past. There's also plenty of options for instant gratification adventure seekers. You know, there's tons of parks in the valley. There's lots of day use areas and really, really kind of quick walk up river spots. I'm obviously a bit of a sucker for the Illinois Valley, if you can't tell. What's your (laughs) must stop destination when you're going through, Zach? Somewhere you like absolutely have to be. You know, honestly, when I was driving through Cave Junction, I was always like really hungry because like you're talking about, there's a whole bunch of really good adventures to do around there and so when i would come back i was always just starving so like the number of times i like drove into cave junction i was like where should i get food like would blow my mind and cave junction actually kind of comes strong in that way there's (laughs) i always stop to eat at taylor's sausage this massive unique half butcher shop half restaurant that is 100 percent delicious if you're not a vegetarian (laughs) um taylor's is kind of like it's a cave junction institution i feel like there's a great mexican food place in town there's wild rivers brewing and so i just loved it as like this base camp where like i'd go out and do this big crazy adventure somewhere around there and then come back through town and get food in town to kind of celebrate but one thing that i occurred to me as we were talking is the weather uh people don't appreciate how good the weather is down in southwest Mm -hmm. oregon it's almost universally 10 degrees warmer down there there's a lot more sunshine so especially in the spring and we'll talk about this i think coming up but it's just it's a really pleasant place to be often in the winter often in the fall and in the spring i mean wildfires have been an issue down there but it has really nice weather and you're right the stuff to get there is really close at hand but speaking of getting into town and heading out and about what's your favorite time to visit the illinois valley and do you have any suggestions when it comes to making a base camp you know, Grants Pass is kind of the biggest town nearby, but if you're down in the valley, any places you'd shout out to rest your head at night so you can kind of hit the places we're going to talk about? Yeah, so there are definitely recreation options in the valley year round, so you're never really going to be disappointed when you book a trip down there or spend some time in that area, you know, whether it's summer or winter. But in my opinion, my humble opinion, the ultimate time to be in the Illinois Valley is kind of that late spring, early summer sweet spot, usually in June Uh, You want to be there when it's warm enough to get in the water, but the landscape still has some moisture to it. And like you mentioned, you know, fire season maybe hasn't full throttle kicked in yet. I would definitely argue that one of the top features that the Valley has to offer is kind of the swimming and water recreation. So you got to be there when you can capitalize on that. As far as somewhere to stay goes, we will talk about my favorite overnighter in the trees a little bit later on. But besides that, I would always suggest camping first and foremost, if you can snag a spot somewhere in the Illinois Valley. There are lots of places to go, and that air is so fresh in the morning when you step out of your tent. It's also really nice to be able to camp so conveniently close to a swimming hole, which is where most of those designated areas end up being situated. Outside of that, I do wish I had a better local recommendation, but I would have to say that I actually would suggest planning ahead and maybe booking one of the Airbnbs or vacation rentals in the area. There are a few smaller kind of in-style motel options dotted around if that's something that rocks your world. But with an Airbnb, you will likely have your own house to use as a base camp, a backyard. No surprise, the available rentals in the Valley are stinking gorgeous. So it's only going to add to your trip overall. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Like I have friends down there who ran a couple of them and they were in really cool locations. Like there's like little private inholdings, like way out in the wilderness, like along the Illinois River, like on a a beautiful swimming spot. So like there are really cool uh, vacation rentals to be had out there. So, okay. I want to get to some of these places and what makes this area special in this episode. We're going to do it in true explore Oregon podcast style. Scott and I are going to go back and forth, picking our favorite spots in this area. We're going to include trails, lakes, rivers, and other curiosities, and including an interview with the owner of the original Oregon treehouse destination, the out and about tree resort. 
I will mention that we've touched on a few of these places recently in recent podcasts, including the one about the Calamiopsis wilderness and our big draft of rivers. So don't worry, we're going to talk about the Illinois River Babyfoot Lake, but we're going to touch on that towards the end of the show because, you know, there's a whole bunch of places in the valley just on the edges of it, and we want to give them some shine. So speaking of shine, Skylar, why don't you just lead us off? For my first pick, I have to go with a spot that feels like a kind of like a childhood friend of mine. It's just somewhere where I spent countless hours in the summer playing in the water, climbing trees. My dad would take me there in the fall and we'd watch the salmon run. It's kind of been one-stop shop for summer recreation. The Illinois River Fork State Park is a super killer spot just south of Cave Junction. It's right after the first bridge you go, go over. There's great signage. You can't miss it. It's filled with swimming holes, beaches, rope swings. It's the perfect place to spend a summer day or have a picnic. There are walking trails along the river, and there's even a really cool, more recent addition. There's actually a nine-hole disc golf course that you can play at the Forks Park. It's really cool. It has scorecards. There's a map you can follow along. The other cool thing about the spot is it's actually where the east and west forks of the Illinois River meet. So if you're brave, you can kind of wave out into the water, check out that spot. It tends to be pretty mellow towards the late summer. It's also a great spot for big groups. There's tons of room, gazebos, picnic tables. Or if you're looking for something a little more intimate, it's a large enough space that you can totally sneak off and kind of find a quiet spot to enjoy the river by yourself. Uh, I just would say that the Forks really feels like it embodies kind of the summertime spirit of the valley. So it felt like a great first pick for me. I wanted to stick on this place for just a second because I remember maybe uh, a number of years ago, there was concern about this place and State Parks was like, I don't you know, they were a little frustrated with some of the stuff there. But then they made some investments to it. I think that disc golf course um, and maybe they they put a few more rangers down there. And it sounds like it's really rallied as as a destination. Does that follow with your experience or not? Absolutely. But nowadays, you know, there are some super, super cool park hosts that are there 24-7. They actually live on site. They have a really, really beautiful little setup so you can go and ask questions or anything like that. Um, so it really, really is improving in terms of, uh, you know, not only the resources that are there, but just kind of the energy of Forks is really, really nice these days. All right. So my first pick uh, feels like kind of the obvious one in this area area and it's the one that kind of provides the name for Cave Junction, the Oregon Caves National Monument and Preserve. So the marble caves here are some of the largest west of the Mississippi River, so some of the largest on the west coast, and it was also one of the earliest national monuments established by the Antiquities Act. So all the way back in 1909, uh, this area was was protected. It's surrounded in that classic old school architecture um, including the Oregon Caves Chateau, which feels like a, a trip back into like an ancient, like a really old time. And there's, and that's a place I've always wanted to stay, uh, actually, just because it feels like, I don't know, like you're in a ghost movie or something like that. I don't know why I've always felt like that place is haunted, but it just feels <laughs> like it, it should be just because it's so old and just has that vibe to it. Uh, like a, an old lighthouse or something is a good way of comparing it, I guess. <laughs> So there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do at the Oregon Caves. The, the standard cave tour uh, is very cool, worth doing there. But my favorite experience within the caves themselves is actually the off-trail caving tour, uh, where you put on a headlamp, uh, you put on like caving clothes, and you follow a guide and you really do it proper. Like you squeeze through narrow passageways into hidden rooms, you're belly crawling in like complete darkness, getting dirty. You know, if if you're not that into like just the classic touristy kind of thing, like this is just a great alternative to that. That said, if you're not into narrow spaces, I do not recommend this one at all because you will get a lot of claustrophobia in there. But it's not just about caves. It's not just about what's underground here. There's also great hop hiking options. One of my earlier stories as an outdoor news reporter uh, in 2014, legislation passed Congress to expand the National Monument there and it folded in like a whole bunch of cool stuff in the Siskiyou Mountains around it and that includes Bigelow Lakes uh, which is this area of really rare wildflowers uh, just really interesting place and then up to Mount Elijah uh, so you can hike from the caves over to this this area where it's got Bigelow Lakes Mount Elijah really scenic area and that is actually named for the first white guy to find the caves and bring it to to wider knowledge back in the late 1800s there are also a few campgrounds on the way up 
Uh, I'm not actually sure on the condition of them most recently, but uh, they're they're definitely there. So check that out. That's a good place to stay. Uh, Skyla, did you have any big caves experiences uh, growing up? It was just up the road. Just about every year in primary school, we actually took a field trip to the cave. So it was like a very regular, almost like the annual, we get to go down into the depths. Um, and it was always the same tour. And I always had just as much fun. Uh, you know, don't forget to pack your jacket is always the thing that I say when I think about the Oregon caves, because it's year round. I believe it's 44 degrees down there when you go yeah. in. So it's definitely chilly. Uh, my favorite bit, I have to admit, childhood uh, was definitely the story about the first white guy, Elijah Davidson and his dog, Bruno. Um, I just thought <laughs> that always rocked my world when I was little, you know, thinking about having to find your way out of that cave by following the sound of the water. That just totally enraptured me as a little person and even kind of today thinking about it. So the caves is definitely like a, a feature of the community down there. It's a really, really cool space. Uh, Skyla, what's your number two pick in the Illinois Valley? For my second pick, I am uh, going to break the boundaries a little bit. I know we're early in the list, but I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to bunch two into one, but for totally good reason, because both of these stops are a must see and you can actually hit both of them in a, a very small little stretch of the highway. So the first half of my second pick is going to be a stop at Crystal Kaleidoscope in Selma. Crystal Kaleidoscope is this massive indoor-outdoor rocks, minerals, crystals. It is everything that the rock hound inside of you would love. It's a gorgeous gallery. It's really, really nicely displayed, so you're not kind of overstimulated when you walk in the door. One of my favorite things about this is if you are a rock hound and you think you might need to leave with your new favorite crystal, you do not have to break the bank in order to shop here, which I always really appreciate. There's going to be something for kind of everybody, both in terms of interest and your financial fortitude. <laughs> um, the owner, Lee, is a super, super cool dude. And both he and his employees have a really impressive passion and knowledge about area geology. So you can also learn a lot kind of just about the area by stopping in there and asking questions. Is Crystal Kaleidoscope, is that right off 199? Right off of it. The sign's huge. There's crystals posted up outside. Um, if you are headed south towards Cave Junction from Grants Pass, it's going to be on your left. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's a great spot. I really recommend it. If you are not into crystals or if you stop by Crystal Kaleidoscope and want to shop around a little bit more, my second half of this recommendation is a little bit further south on 199. It's a Burl is another gallery just off of the highway right when you kind of arrive in Kirby. It's also going to be on your left when you're coming from Grants Pass. It's a Burl is a super, super magical woodworking yard. It has an art gallery. There's a pottery studio. Uh, but long story short, there's just about everything for kind of natural artists and people who appreciate that sort of thing at It's a Burl. There are also a ton of cool tree houses on site here, not quite for staying in, but for instead appreciating kind of the crazy cool things that you can make with wood. Um, each one is totally different. Some of them are really short and squat. Some of them are really, really tall up there. They have all sorts of crazy things hanging off of them, like wizard faces and fairies and flying cars, but it's all made out of like driftwood and burls and stones and just things that you find in the area. So uh, it's a burl will essentially convince you further and further that you are in a land of make-believe, you know, whether you're a little kid or a full-blown non-believer adult. By the time you leave this place, you will be thinking that wizards are real. So I really recommend <laughs> stopping in there. Oh, man. There's so many fun things to see just along uh, Highway 199. Like, there's just a bunch of fun stuff that you can hit like these two that are just on the side of the road. I've got to mention this just because we're like kind of this is sort of in that, that vein. Just about everybody that drives down 199 sees the sweet cron sign where it, it looks like it should be sweet corn, but the corn is spelled C-R-O-N. And so it looks like sweet cron and it catches everyone's attention. And that's actually the point. So the farmers that run the little stand there uh, sell corn and one day years ago uh they had to refurbish the sign and they act you know it was a mother-in-law she was like rushed and didn't have time so she spelled it wrong and what they discovered was a whole bunch of people would just stop in to tell them that their sign was wrong and then buy the corn and so they've kept the sign up there just as is because it's a great like tourist trap like people continue to stop in and be like you spelled it wrong but i'm gonna buy some corn while i'm at it and i just that's just the most quintessential like Illinois Valley thing where there's just all this cool, fun stuff 
along along the highway. What did you think of the sweet cron thing? I mean, it, like, is <laughs> was there like was there a like a public like belief about that or anything? You know, it's I'm cr- just cracking up over here that you even brought that up because it really is such a controversy in the Illinois Valley. <laughs> um, I would argue. You know, there's such these funny little factions of people who believe different origin stories about the sweet cron sign. So it's definitely a hot topic. Um, some people, you know, totally go with what you just said. And it's an, and you're absolutely right. You know, people are stopping and they're checking it out and it's obviously effective. So it's lasted that long. Um, there's another good chunk of people that believe that it is actually a reference to cannabis, as in sweet chronic. Uh, that was popular sure. for quite a while. And then there's a whole other subgroup of people, which I personally tend to fall into, that just is absolutely infuriated by the fact that people think about a misspelled sign when they think about the valley. <laughs> so it goes in a lot of different directions. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised. Um, I I didn't know that it was a sensitive subject with you. I apologize for bringing it up. Um, it was just like every single person that I took through. It's just you ha- you can't not notice it. Like if it's your first time driving through there, like every single person I took through was like, what's that? Oh, yeah. You have to notice it. That's for sure. I'll give them that. You definitely you'll definitely catch your eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So um, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep this train rolling. And um, so for my second pick, um, I'm going to go with a trio of Alpine lakes. That was probably my favorite area to visit. Uh, back in the day, it was burned over by the Slater fire, uh, which burned during the 2020 Labor Day fires. It was like the one that hit uh, Southwest Oregon. Uh, so the area I'm talking about is Bolin Mountain Campground and then nearby Tanner Lakes. And they're about an hour east of Cave Junction, right in the remote heart of the Siskiyou Mountains, uh, right on the edge of the Red Buttes Wilderness. And so Bolin Lake Campground is just this beautiful alpine campground. Uh, it recently reopened. It's on this very pretty lake, has great fishing. And then the Tanner Lakes are kind of, you, you have to hike into them. They're sort of wilderness alpine lakes, but it's a pretty short hike. It's pretty easy. There's also pretty decent fishing there. I've caught a, quite a few rainbow trout in both places. Um, the area did burn over in the Slater Fire, but the Forest Service has reopened it. And I actually just started, I found some pictures of uh, both Tanner and Bolin Lakes since uh, the fire, and it doesn't look too bad. Um, I'd heard that it burned pretty hot, but there was a whole bunch. There's a massive amount of wildflowers uh, that have come up post wildfire, and so I'm excited to get back out there and see it because it's a great place to be. Um, there was still a decent, a lot of trees at the campground, and so it was still shaded in there. So it's just it's a beautiful spot, and you know I'm I'm like really anxious to get back down there because it it looked pretty good uh from the pictures i could see and i kind of want to see how it's changed and not i will say that the bolin mountain lookout uh which was one of the most popular lookouts in the state and brought a ton of people out there uh did burn down the forest service has said uh they definitely want to rebuild it but who knows when that'll happen so r.i.p bolin mountain lookouts may you rise again someday uh did you ever have a big uh, Bolin or Tanner uh, experience, Skyla? Yeah, during the winter time, honestly, is my favorite time to get up to Bolin Lake. Um, It's so pretty. Nothing beats, you know, kind of uh, battling the elements and starting a fire in one of the pits up there at the campground, you know, watching the snowfall. The lake completely and totally freezes over in the winter time. So that's really, really cool to watch. Um, it's also a great adrenaline boost. I just have to say when you actually make it up there in the winter time, um, with the snow, it really feels like, you know, a serious victory. It's definitely not for the faint of heart or those with a fear of heights, but it's totally worth the heart palpitations once you make it up there. So, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty interesting drive in the summer. So yeah, what just, you just throw the chains on, on a big rig and like drive out there through the snow or like just with a little bit of snow or what are you talking about? So we've got the chains in the back. Um, and then actually a hack, I don't know if this is common knowledge or not, but I'll throw it out there. Um, keep some rugs in the back of your car and a shovel, you know, rugs, um, floor mats, even the fabric floor mats for your cars. Um, and then if we get a little bit stuck in the snow up there, you can just shove those bad boys under the tires and dig them out a little bit. And it gives you really, really good traction. Um, so we do go up there, you know, when there is a good chunk of snow, we definitely don't do it, you know, freshly after a storm or anything like that. But if you've got a good vehicle and you're prepared to do a snow adventure, you can make it up to Bolin Lake cautiously. And, it, and I definitely recommend it because it's gorgeous when it's all white up there. All right. Well, after those first two picks from 
uh, the both of us. We're going to take a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsors. When we return, Skyla is taking us to one of the most unique places in Oregon to spend the night, literally in a tree house. So that's when we return. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. If you enjoy hiking the trails of the Tillamook Coast, consider becoming active in their care. By acting as a steward to our beautiful natural spaces, you're investing in their future health and sustainability. There are many different ways to be a good steward. Pack out everything you pack in. Stay on marked trails. Park only in designated parking areas at trailheads. Pick up after your dogs and take home nothing but photos. If you want to take on a larger stewardship role, there are several local conservation groups who could use your volunteer power on a number of projects. To identify an organization to volunteer with, email danhag at tillamookcoast.com. Once again, that's Dan Hag. He's your contact. And his email is dan, D-A-N, at tillamookcoast, which is all one word, dot com. Okay, welcome back. All right, for Skyla's third pick, she is taking us to a special place and introducing us to a special person. Take it away, Skyla. Okay, I am super excited about my third choice because this is actually really, really near and dear Valley Spot, uh, not just to me, but to a ton of people who have also felt the magic here. I spent every 4th of July of my childhood celebrating at the Out and About Treehouse Resort, also known as a Treesort. And it is simply one of the coolest places on the planet. Creator and owner Michael Garnier, a self-described entrepreneur, started the Treehouse Resort nearly 33 years ago on the same plot of land where the resort actually stands today in Tequilma. What was once a single cabin and just a few horses is now a full-scale bed and breakfast, but with a little twist. You'll be spending the night upwards of 12 feet off the ground in one of over a dozen unique treehouses. Appropriately described as a wonderland, Out and About offers horseback riding, guided rafting, zipline tours, arts and crafts, and more. In short, it's pretty rad. I went down and chatted with Michael to learn more about what the resort has to offer. Here are some highlights from that interview. Oh, Michael's my name, Michael Garnier. I'm a entrepreneur. Started this bed and breakfast uh, um, oh, 33 years ago. So uh, we're sort of like a summer camp for families. And the adults are kind of like kid-like when they're, when they're here. So When people come and stay at the tree houses for, you know, let's say we're going to spend a week here or a long weekend or something like that, we've got your zip lines, we've got river rafting, you have the awesome little pool over here in the corner. Right. Um, what else do you point people to in terms of recreation or what they should do during the day? Well, we have a lot of swings here, mm -hmm. so the kids actually spend a lot of time on the swings. We got different, uh, we got a number of different rope swings and just big swings with big pendulums. You know, uh, mm -hmm. there's there's so much difference between a, a little swing and a little play, playground that might have a ten foot pendulum on it and a, a fifty foot pendulum swing. On that one, really glides and. Uh, uh, rope swings, tire swings. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do different crafts. You know, we have we do tile making, tie dye shirts. Um, Can you walk me through what an evening in the treehouse looks like? You know, when when you rent it in. I know you mentioned not all of them have bathrooms, which is obviously a part of that. But um, tell me a little bit about some of the amenities that the treehouses have. Well, they've got um, they've got heat. Uh, do not have air conditioning. <laughs> uh, one of 
don't think when it gets to be over a hundred degrees, it can be. That's that's what the freshwater swimming pools for. Mm -hmm. But this is Oregon. This is the West Coast, so at nights it does cool off. Mm -hmm. All right, and uh, that's one good thing uh, about the West Coast. Do the treehouses have do we have electricity up here? I think oh I yeah, saw they some. have yeah. electricity. Yeah. Um, so then they got heaters. I don't have wood stoves in them because. Uh, the smoke from uh, from the wood stove will kill the leaves and mm. needles of the tree. Okay. Um, um, plus, um, it's you know having a fire is a, a whole thing. You can burn things down like that. So mm -hmm. basically, have uh, electric heaters in them and, and fans and lights and so. I think I saw a menu up there. So do you guys do breakfast oh, yeah, and meals do, and stuff like that? We do full breakfast um, and. Um, we also have, um, which is complimented, people really love the breakfast. The girls do a great job cooking a, a full breakfast. Mm. Um, we also have a pavilion area and a kitchen area, outdoor kitchen area. One of the things that groups come here, um, you'll get different families that'll come here and they'll make friends and the next year they, they plan their trips together. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like when you go to a regular hotel, you don't hardly speak to anybody here. Right. Uh, you have breakfast is a communal breakfast. We have the campfire is a communal campfire where, you know, in the evenings, people are, you know, making s'mores and, mm -hmm. you know, the kids are running around and everybody gets to know each other. And it's, it's just different than, you know, when you go to a mm -hmm. big fancy rest uh, resort. Yeah. Nobody talks to anybody. What do you think keeps people coming back to the tree houses? Um, what brings people back to this space and makes it special? Well, it's fun. It's for kids of all ages, and uh, they just have a really fun time here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have families that uh, uh, have been coming here for well, a lot of them for 12 years and stuff like that. But we've had families who have come here, and then their kids have come here. What do you think contributes to kind of... Um, the culture that you guys have created here. I mean, it really does feel like there's a very unique, you kind of feel the difference in the air when you arrive at the tree houses. Well, it, it's a tree house, so it's, it's, it's not your normal, you know, situation. You're, if you're willing to stay in a tree house, you're gonna be a little different. You're gonna be open to a different experience. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't get too snotty of a pe people here, I mean, uh, for one, uh, the customer's not always right here. So, uh, I mean, we've told people, that, okay, you can have your money back, but don't ever come back. Mm. That upsets them, really. Mm -hmm. It really does. They, fig they figure they should get their money back and be able to come back. And we say, no, you're not, you're not, you're not fit for this place. The thing in common with everybody that stays here is they like tree houses. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting a group of people that are all different-minded, you know, philosophies and stuff like that. So you get a, you're getting a like-minded group of people mm -hmm. and uh, make friends. They, right. They have a good time. The kids. You can't tell whose kids are whose after the first day. So we started doing a conference uh, back in '96, uh, I think, or '97. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, we haven't had one for the last few years because of COVID, but this year we're going to have one again. And so, uh, if anybody's you know interested in really learning how to build a treehouse, that's cool. a time to come out here and, uh, for the conference. And so. Um, and you said that you do also sell parts and things like that here, so somebody yes. could come to the conference, you know, get some real education, and then leave with some tools to right. build a treehouse. I mean, it, we sell and we actually sell online. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things is that uh, uh, I've had. The website is treehouses.com, mm -hmm. and I got that in 1994. And I couldn't get treehouse.com because uh, um, a software company had it, and they still have treehouse.com. But, <laughs> but if you went on the Internet back then, there was nothing that had to do with any real treehouses. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was Simpsons Treehouse. That was another one, but no, there was nothing treehouse about treehouse.com. Mm -hmm. So, but I've had that website or that um, domain name since 1994. So nice. 
If you want to see anything about renting here or how to build a treehouse and parts, or, uh, go to treehouses.com. And remember, it's plural because right. we have more than one treehouse. <laughs> okay, perfect. That was such a fun trip and such a good conversation with Michael of the Out and About Treehouse Resort. And I really can't wait to go spend an evening in the trees next time I'm down there. Yeah, and you know, I'd, one thing I'd add about the, the tree resort is that I would say I don't know if I would call it the most famous place in the Illinois Valley, but it's definitely up there. Like it's one, it's a place that has name recognition with people from Portland and even farther away. Like people who know about this place really love this place, and so it's got kind of a cult following um out there for you know people that live pretty far away so okay so i'm gonna pick up on the thread of that Tequilma area which is not too far from the tree resort and the one that i'm gonna come up with is a pretty big adventure that starts not too far away and so when you drive into cave junction you can kind of look on the horizon and see some really big mountains rising just in the distance those mountains are the high siskiyou range and the siskiyou wilderness uh, which is mostly in california and within that area, those high Siskiyous, there are amazing options, including uh, Raspberry Lake, Devil's Punch Bowl, Clear Creek. The Siskiyou Wilderness is a podcast in and of itself. But what I'm going to do is highlight a route that starts in Oregon, swings just across the border into California, and then pops back out into Oregon all on the same trip. So I'm keeping this kind of as close to the Illinois Valley as possible. Now, this is a very wild and remote area that was also impacted by the Slater Fire, but I have it on good authority that it burned at a very low severity and, you know, it didn't have a big impact on the whole area. And so this is definitely, I feel good about recommending this adventure and it is an adventure. So the route takes you through Tacoma, as previously mentioned, up forest service routes to Black Butte Trailhead. This is an amazing skyline trail with big views across the wild and rugged Siskiyou range. Uh, the trail can bring you to a whole bunch of amazing places. Uh, while you're hiking. But if while you're hiking, you kind of look directly below. So you'll see mountains in the distance and you'll look below and there is a massive U-shaped glacial valley carved out by the East Fork Illinois River. So you can follow Blackview Trail and then, and you have to be careful to look for the sign, but there is the beginning of the East Fork Illinois River Trail and you can hike down into that amazingly huge solitary valley the experience of being down in that valley is pretty fun. I would probably spend, you know, camp one night, but, you know, you cross this beautiful crystal stream like four times. You're going through big shaded old growth forest, um, huge uh, cedar trees in there. Um, if you run into another person, I'd be utterly shocked. Anyway, if you're looking for some real solitude, uh, this is a really cool place to go. Uh, there's really nice swimming holes. You can just stop and, and lay in for a while. And the swimming holes get better as you get downstream. But basically, you just go up those mountains and then come down this valley. And you can actually keep following that trail, the East Fork Illinois River Trail, almost like all the way back into Tequilma if you want to. So this is a trip where you want to get dropped off at the top and maybe picked, off, picked up at the bottom. Uh, the other option is you can actually just hike up the East Fork Illinois Trail from the bottom to some of those really great hike-in swimming holes. Um, that's another thing that I like about the Illinois Valley wilderness around it. Um, there's definitely people there sometimes, but compared to the Three Sisters Wilderness or something, it's, I mean, it's almost total solitude. All right, so you are on to your fourth pick now. So what do you got for number four? I am going to stay in that vein of kind of appreciating the isolation. And we are going to take a trip really, really close to my actual childhood home since I spent most of my years in O'Brien. And we're going to take a drive up Lone Mountain Road. Lone Mountain Road shoots right off of 199. It's right next to the O'Brien Country Store. And it takes you through a few different neighborhoods. So I will say, please make sure you're driving slowly and carefully on your way out to this destination. You know, we want to be respectful of the locals. It will eventually spit you out onto a gravel road where county maintenance ends. This is where Lone Mountain Road stops and Historic Weimer Road begins. So Historic Weimer Road was a, originally constructed in 1883, and it was the main route that actually connected kind of those lush gold fields that were popping off in Southern Oregon during that time to California. So it went from this O'Brien area all the way through the mountains and eventually spit you out on the beach near Crescent City. So it's a cool piece of history that you can drive through. 
you can get some really, really killer north and east facing views of the valley up here as you kind of start to gain a little bit of elevation. You can also stop and take a dip in Whiskey Creek or the West Fork of the Illinois, kind of depending on where you stop as both of those follow along this road as you're kind of tooling your way up into the mountains. This is a gravel road, but it is usually maintained pretty well, so you don't have to have a rough and tumble vehicle to get up here for the most part. As long as you go slow, kind of take it easy, you can get a really, really good couple of miles up Historic Weimar Road before you even are going to start sweating, you know, kind of navigating those potholes. I will say that there's also great rock hounding in this area and huge fields of Darlingtonias, which are those green carnivorous plants that are actually native to this rocky landscape in Southern Oregon and Northern California. Um, I really recommend this just on that same kind of line of thinking we were saying earlier, where you are very, very, very likely to have this scenery to yourself, which is always going to be a score. You know, I don't think I've ever seen maybe another car once or twice when I'm up Lone Mountain Road. So it's great to kind of go get out, appreciate the valley, maybe take a dip and just breathe in that air on your own. Yeah. How long would it take you to get from, say, the O'Brien Country Store over that road and then to, to Crescent City? From the O'Brien Store, actually getting to the beach if you're cruising and you're having a good time, and I, I guess most importantly, driving safely, I would say it's going to take you probably about seven hours, maybe six and a half, anywhere to seven and a half, eight hours on that road. That whole area, there's just so many wild roads uh, all on that borderland between uh, Southern Oregon and Northern California in there. There's, I mean, you can get to some really, really interesting old ancient mines and all kinds of wild stuff out there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Weimar Road. That's a that's a cool pick. Um, I don't, I never did the entire trip. I would do stuff off of it, but I never actually did the entire thing. So, all right. Well, I'm gonna pick a place that is much better known, and it is right off Highway 199. In fact, it makes a great little stop um, if you're headed to the Redwoods, and it is Eight Dollar Mountain. Um, it's got this great wide road uh, that leads along the Illinois River before kind of climbing into the trailheads of the Calmeopsis Wilderness. Uh, the road brings you to a bunch of different places, uh, beginning with a little boardwalk hike among a huge fen of the in- insects eating Darlingtonia that you just mentioned. Um, some people call them pitcher plants. You know, we've touched on the geology a little bit and even got into it more on the Calamiopsis podcast, but it's worth, worth mentioning again that this area is so unique because it has these ancient rocks that were pushed up from the bottom of the ocean and they're so nutrient poor that it, it's, a you know, required these odd plants to evolve to, to live there. And yeah, and so the Darlingtonia is just the most famous of those. And so off $8 Mountain Road, there's a little boardwalk trail that takes you right through there very easy very kid-friendly way to to check it out and see these really cool plants that trap bugs and eat them so that's the first stop Uh, another sweet spot is uh, little illinois river falls uh, which is a little loop trail there and some great swimming holes eventually the road charges uphill and it gets to the trailheads for the calamiopsis wilderness and again we did touch on those quite a lot in the previous podcast so listen to that but it's worth mentioning babyfoot lake uh it's one of the more locally famous uh, little mountain lakes that you can get into. It's around 45, 5,000 feet. And uh, so it's just a, a fun kids hike. There's a nice little loop you can do there. You can do a five mile loop. You can do a really quick in and out. But Babyfoot Baby Foot Lake, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, would you Do you have any good stuff off of $8 Mountain Road? It sounds like you know that area pretty good. So what's what do you like about $8 Mountain Road? What would you stop and see? Yeah, $8 is uh, such a hit in the Valley. I think that was always one of our go-to places when we didn't feel like battling the Illinois River Road, which we'll get to a little bit later. I would argue that uh, $8 feels like the more gentle version of that. The thing that I really have to shout out, a personal favorite of mine up $8 has got to be Green Bridge. It's very literal. Uh, it's an actual huge huge iron green bridge. Uh, It's painted. It's gorgeous. Um, There's usually a lot of pretty cool tags on it underneath the bottom on the cement, some pretty cool artwork, but that's just a really nice spot to pull over, take the kids, take the dogs, go get in the river. There's tons of parking on both sides of the bridge and it's really easy river access. So I always point people in that direction if they're either new to the area or if you just want to go somewhere that's not super hard to get to and get in the water. 
the beach access area is massive. So even if there's already people there when you show up, you can walk a little ways down the road and you kind of have the river to yourself again. So I definitely would recommend stopping by Greenbridge for that kind of instant gratification access. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the entire Illinois River becomes like this amazing swimming hole once summer hits and it drops low. So there's there's so many good places to access it. And there's so much public land that, yeah, yeah, it's such a such a good swimming mm-hmm. river. All right, so we are on to your fifth pick, believe it or not. Um, So where are you going to bring us? Yes, okay. I think I would be doing a disservice if my last pick for Illinois Valley kind of hits didn't feature the Illinois River Road. If for no other reason than its sheer popularity, contrasted by how insanely difficult it can be to navigate actually getting to the spots on the Illinois River Road. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. I know that this has been mentioned a lot in previous outdoor coverage, but the River Road genuinely is one of the best spots in the valley to appreciate the Illinois and get in some beautiful water, and a lot of people know about it, so I think it's worth another run-through. There are so many great stops on the River Road, from staying at Store Goat Campground, to looking for treasure in Diver's Hole, or checking out the 60-foot Swinging Bridge, which some people do jump off of. I super strongly recommend not jumping off of that and instead opting for the much safer cliff jumping along pretty much the entire rest of the river. While this road is totally worth the treachery, I have to also mention how incredibly dangerous this area tends to be, especially in peak summertime months when people are going there for swimming. The river road is super steep. I cannot overstate how (laughs) steep the road is. There are no guardrails anywhere in sight. It is also often super roughly maintained, like I'm talking tire ending pothole, kind of unmaintained. And worst of all is the number of drunk drivers that tend to gravitate to this area. Alcohol is not technically allowed on the river, but few people follow that rule and that results in just, you know, real, real sketchy corners. Please follow that rule. Try to avoid drinking alcohol, bringing it in there. Recreate responsibly in this area so that locals and travelers alike can continue to enjoy the killer spots along this admittedly sketchy drive. (laughs) Zach, do you have anything else to add on that or anything you might not want to miss out on on the river road? It might sound like Skyla is being over the top here and she is not. That is 100% accurate. You will get to the edge of the road sometimes and just look at like a thousand foot sheer drop into the cliffs below uh, or into the river below. So it's she's not uh, like over the top on that at all. It is a beautiful area, though. And, you know, at the beginning, we mentioned visiting this area like in the late spring. This is a fantastic time to come down Illinois River Road is the late spring Um, because, you know, the river is beautiful. uh, The campsites are beautiful, but there's not nearly as many drunk drivers, you know, um, out there or crowds or anything like that, you can really experience the area's beauty uh, without it being quite so chaotic. One other thing I wanted to mention, um, there's a really amazing float that you can do if you like whitewater kayaking. Uh, You can float down Deer Creek, which is a tributary of the Illinois River, and then get into this really beautiful canyon of the Illinois River. If you got a little bit of whitewater kayaking skill, uh, just an inflatable kayak or something like that, And you can get a little taste of what it's like to float on the really world famous Illinois River just in that little in that little area that we're talking about here. But if you follow that dangerous road and you keep going and you follow it all the way to its end, it stays pretty sketchy the entire route. It eventually becomes gravel and (laughs) gets pretty darn rough. I absolutely destroyed a Honda Civic. Uh, driving it down this road and trying to get to a place that is definitely worth visiting. And that is the Illinois River Trail, uh, which is probably the most spectacular end to end backpacking route in the States, or it's certainly in that conversation. Again, on the podcast about the Calumniopsis Wilderness, uh, me and Gabe Howe, the executive director of the Siskiyou Mountain Club, kind of broke down exactly how to do the Illinois River Trail, what you're going to find there. So if you want like a full breakdown, just kind of listen to that episode. It's funny, though, uh, he's been in the news lately um, because his group, the Siskiyou Mountain Club, uh, just finished reopening the length of the Illinois River Trail. And it's, like, it's like a 30-mile uh, trail end-to-end. You can kind of backpack from the valley over to the coast. Um, and anyway, there's been a lot of stories uh, in the media outlets, including ours, about because Gabe kind of had this way of saying his, his group had kind of reopened the trail. 
And they did. It's for the first time in 20 years since the big biscuit fire in this area. You can hike from end to end, and it is an enjoyable time. I should point out that you know some of us have been hiking that trail for for decades, and it's been it's it's been open. Um, it hasn't always been fun, but it's been open. And so, uh, you know, if you want to do the Illinois River Trail um, by following this road all the way to its end, it's an adventure for sure. But it's fantastic. Uh, one great trip you could do, there's a great overnight backpacking trip to uh, an area called Pine Flat. And so you get on the Illinois River Trail uh, from the trailhead at the end of this road, hike uh, five miles roughly down to a little uh, beautiful spot um, on the Illinois River surrounded by mountains at an area called Pine Flat. Um, it's just a perfect spot for a one night backpacking trip. You can swim there. You can fish there if it's the winter. Um, some of my favorite memories are fishing for winter steelhead down there when it was still allowed. Uh, from Pine Flats. And yeah, um, I'd also mention uh, on this trail, you can really see why the Illinois River is considered perhaps, you know, the best rafting trip in Oregon. Uh, we had our little river draft recently and it went number one overall as like a draft pick uh, because it's so wild. It's so beautiful. And there's big rapids that'll kick your butt in there. And so, yeah, uh, that's what I got. That is a very rambling answer, um, but I, th I think you get the idea. Okay, so we are on to my final pick. And for my final pick, I'm going to pick something slightly less exotic, um, but it is going to be the steepest of the bunch that we've talked about, and that is the Kirby Peak Trail. It's located just outside Selma, and it basically climbs almost 3,000 feet to this view of the entire Illinois Valley. Uh, I can't think of a better place for this sweeping overhead view and where you can kind of take in everything that is unique about this area than this, this, this place at the top. You're hiking up ancient rocks. There's super cool wildflowers. And then there's just big views at the top where you can really see the Illinois Valley as it carves itself in, into the mountains. Um, it's about seven miles out and back. Uh, pretty tough, but you know, not, not, you know, not deftifyingly so. It's a good trail the whole way. And it's just, it's a perfect way to end our stuff at the Illinois Valley, just because you get that big overhead view and you can kind of, you know, pick out the Illinois Valley within the big wilder surroundings. Okay, Skyler, we touched on a lot. Um, what do we leave out or what should people know before heading down to the Illinois uh, Valley? Yeah, that was awesome. You know, I was just there and I'm already totally ready for another valley visit, if that says anything. So I think the only thing I would add, you know, there are plenty of other gems that are, of course, not on this list from Greybrack Creek to the Red Dirt, Rough and Ready, uh, you know, Stout Grove, just south of the valley uh, across the border. There's a lot to do. So don't hesitate to explore and really kind of get out there and make the most of it. I'd say if you're going to spend any time in the Illinois Valley, just make sure that you're always ready for an adventure in kind of every sense of the word, because that's what you're going to get. And if you're ready for it, it's going to end up being a really cool experience, whatever happens, you know. Uh, drive a little slower than you might normally, kind of embody that family-oriented Southern Oregon vibe. Throw a peace sign to the people you run into, locals like that. You know, the Illinois Valley is a super special place, and I'm just really excited about, uh, you know, I love the idea of other people getting to experience some of that magic too. So thanks for helping me share it. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. Once again, Skyla Patton is our outdoors journalism intern this summer. Thanks, Skyla. Thanks, Zach. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com slash explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.